We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson talking all things NFL. We're going to talk breakout teams and players, even maybe declining teams and players. We'll see what happens. But we're going to you know, get into some superlative type stuff on the show. But before we get into it, let's discuss uh, the charity drive we've got going on. Let's turn Sam into minor league Steve. Mm. All for the uh, Make a Wish Make a Wish Foundation of the Tri-State Area. Yes, uh, it's my pinned tweet. So if you go to Twitter p- at pff underscore sam, there's a GoFundMe set up. We're trying to raise fifteen hundred dollars for the Make a Wish Foundation. If we raise that, I will do a show of the PFF NFL podcast dressed up in your old minor league baseball crap. Um, it's going to be great. I, I got to get the several X's too large. I have to dig out my. Um, my big league pants, big league big pants. League pants. They're big league pants, not the minor league stuff. The big league spring training pants, because I was never, you know, in the big leagues. Actually, there. But I'll get you the big league pants. Okay. Jacket, the glove. You you supply the wig and the mustache. The wig we'll and the mustache. Yeah. I I could see. I, I was looking. I was googling a photo of like what your mustache looked like. You know what what style we're going for here. It's like it's because of that rule. It's like straight across. It's the most ridiculous mustache. Yeah. It's not even like a did good you, stash that you could pull off. Did you look at my portrait photo or the? I just googled card? your name and looked for a photo with a stash. Because because the one with the portrait, we were coming out of spring training, and because we were in the sun all day, the part like of my mustache, like right under my nose, was really dark, but out here was really light. Uh. So when we did our photos for the Fresno Grizzlies that yeah. year. The photographer uh, photoshopped it a little bit to <laughs> color. He just he just darkened the color across the board so I it see. was more consistent and stronger. No, my problem with it was that because of this line, it just runs like this. Oh, it does, yeah, there's no... So there's not like you can't... below the lip. If you're gonna rock an unironic mustache in today's world, there has to be some kind of downturn at the, the sides, right? It has to, I'm not talking like full Fu Manchu, but there's got to be like a little bit of, of downward action there. Yours is just straight across. Push broom. It's ridiculous. Straight push right, broom. Right, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I, that, that's pretty hateful. Well, it's what you're going to have to do. Apparently. So go check it out. At PFF underscore Sam. It's his pinned tweet. And uh, yeah, doing it all for charity again, which is going to be great. So uh, hopefully that show, what we really should do is do a little quick training camp tour and maybe do that show on the road. So you got to like travel around. Excuse me? 
as uh, I'm not. No, I'm sitting in this chair and I'm not moving. I'm okay, not maybe next year. Maybe next year when we take the charity drive to the next level next with like a season. belt cinching up the big league pants that are eight sizes too big. That's not happening. Yeah, big league pants. Can't wait. All right, so uh, we had we asked for some suggestions on shows. I don't. I should reference who uh, sent this to us. I'll check out the tweet. Hmm. But we had somebody send us a bulleted list of of things we should cover and i thought it made sense for a good show teams poised to make the biggest leaps biggest drops dark horse mvp candidates it was dean leong oh dean so dean's gonna we'll see what he uh has for pff subscriptions can be our listener of the week you want to do that i think so you want to have a listener I mean, look, of the week he's going to give us what is this five potential topics for a, a podcast I think that deserves some kind right, of listener of the week. Let's do that. Let's get the listeners involved as much as possible here. So let's we'll have a little listener of the week. And I think we keep this open-ended. The listener of the week doesn't necessarily have to give us the right topic or email. It's just, you know, whatever we think. Whatever hmm. whatever we think you've done to earn it. Yeah. You can get I listener mean, of the look, week. You it's can either open. send us topics that make for a good podcast content. You can send us interesting emails that are funny stories like do you remember the dude that sent us the kirk cousins analogy that was a good one that yeah. guy would have won oh somebody asked us for our address and i didn't respond to him i did that, i sent him you did it yeah. okay you sent it here right now at your house yes god no yeah I'm not, just it might case. be that big box of crap that's sitting out there next to mark's office who knows oh we should check probably that already out. arrived we should check that um yeah, yeah I mean, depending can, on what's in that he might be listener of the week for the next show. right if you're sending us nice things you might win uh, listener of the week if you're sending us like hate mail or bomb threats then less so uh, oh, by the way, speaking of like listener feedback. Speaking of bomb threats. <laughs> Austin, Austin interviewed like a million listeners of the Two for One podcast to get listener feedback of like how they can improve, how they could get better. One of the people actually said, don't have Starbucks cups on on the desk during the podcast. It wasn't that like the star, it wasn't, his issue wasn't with a cup of coffee. His issue was it's a national or in, multinational conglomerate by local. Buy local instead. He wanted to buy local. So buy local. Support your so local you really coffee. So I have enacted that. I have a coffee emporium, which I had to check were local. They are, in fact, a Cincinnati uh, coffee place, not, you know, a massive chain that I just didn't know about. My problem, here's the thing, right? I'm going to offer them some constructive criticism. See, the reason, the biggest reason I get Starbucks on the way in is because I'm driving from my house to here and I have to get something on the way, right? And there aren't that many options. There's the Emporium on the right, and yep. a park in there is a bit of a pain in the ass. Then there's Starbucks on the left, and you usually can park. The other big difference, Starbucks have the little plastic stoppers that mean the coffee doesn't spill all over you and scald your legs during the last 300 yards between the coffee place and here. The Emporium has no stoppers. Not only do they have no stoppers. It's the stoppers that are really yes. selling you? Not only do they have no stoppers, they've actually changed the size of the plastic straws in the building. So you can't even do that trick where you like fold the straw in half and jam it down the, the hole where the coffee comes out because it's too big now. So the Especially when you buy for me and you've got a couple right. of the, yeah. Two of them. I only have two cup holders in the Camaro. So I, they need to come up with a way that's like the, a, a, a sealed container for the so coffee. So you're... You're going with the big multinational company who can afford stoppers. They've worked out the kinks in the system, right? They've worked out the problems, the pressure points. And one of the biggest pressure points for me is if I'm going to take this in the car Here's, to here, you need to give me a way of stopping it spilling over me. I would rather just say Starbucks. I, I know somebody, some exec from Starbucks watches us. Of, of course, course, yeah. Right? Just sponsor the show. 
Just sponsor. No, the you show. don't want Star. You want if you get get the local one to sponsor. Starbucks has more money than yeah, the no, but listen, the, I want the, more money. Here's the thing, right? The local one can sponsor the show, and then they can bring us the coffee in a way that won't spill all over you. All right, if Coffee Emporium. Somebody from there must be watching That's too. What I'm saying absolutely. You guys watch the show. I saw somebody talking on Twitter one day about um, an idea that I hadn't thought of before, like a coffee shop but sports bar equivalent. I a think that's coffee a great shop idea. sports bar. Yeah. So instead of instead of booze, it's coffee. But you know, with all the games on, my old my old self is more tra- is is attracted to that idea. Huh. Would that ever catch on? I I, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, so when I was googling their website, though, they made a big thing about uh, partnering with some company called Steep to create basically coffee tea bags. You're really going this down this route, huh? Yeah. Why? It just has me thinking, why are coffee tea bags not just a thing that have been around since tea bags? You take the loose crap that's a pain in the ass to put in your cup, you put it in a bag, you pour water over it, and you're done. Coffee, it's like, no, you need a drip system, you need a big uh, the filter thing, you need to pour loose coffee over, it gets all down the sink, it's a, it's a nightmare. Why have you not just put that in a bag the same way you put tea know, in the bag? People have been missing out for hundreds of years. This is what I'm saying. It's taken, taken 100 years for the Emporium to partner with Steep. And solve a problem that's already been fixed by T like a century ago. Okay. So we're... Anyway, the NFL. Sponsorships from either Starbucks or Coffee Emporium. Hit us up. NFL podcast at pff.com. Yeah. Or if you have a big multinational company that wants to sponsor Stop the podcast. Big, local. Or local Local company. was the feedback. Can, Lo- does that have to be local to Cincinnati local. or just local to anyone? Like, can we take a local North Reading, Massachusetts brand? Well, if they want to ferry the coffee here every store. If you're from Ryer's store, the little general store in North Reading, and you want to sponsor local i mean i don't know if it's going to be in great shape by the time it arrives oh yeah it won't it won't yeah it won't. so it probably don't. local to cincinnati ryers has the best just egg sandwiches bacon egg and cheese oh, sandwiches I, coffee coffee's what we need we need a coffee sponsor but ryers they can sponsor when i go back to massachusetts yeah but that's all right let's go me. let's just come on let's talk some football okay what do you got all right so the first first item on the list we'll break it all up breakout teams breakout teams is that my list where am i i'm losing track here yeah, that's it. Teams poised to make the biggest leaps from 2020 to 2021. I'll let you go first. We'll go back and forth with uh, options and discussion. So who do you think is making the biggest leap? Well, obviously the Jags are making the biggest leap on the grounds that they won one game last year. Uh, now you're just playing the odds here. Yeah. Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. And one game. In my wide receiver tight end rankings, they ended up in the 20s. And I'm wondering if I underrated them because I've, I'm, I really like where they could be they remind me about they remind me a little of the Steelers last year where I've looked at the Steelers receiving core last year and thought they're good they're good I could see the breakout potential I could see it I think the Jaguars are because a lot of it depends on LaVisca Chenault breaking out but their tight end room is so bad um but I like the I like the Jags because yeah. uh, I do think I think Trevor Lawrence does immediately bring them to six or seven wins right and the other thing is there's a reasonable chance the AFC South is not good yeah. Like, I know they've got, you know, two teams last year won 11 games. Um, but the Colts are sort of, they're running a knife edge with this Carson Wentz thing that could unspool pretty quickly. Um, the Tennessee Titans lost a couple of significant parts of that offense. And unless they get a Julio Jones back, as you were talking about last show, that could easily not be as good as it was a year ago. Texans are just a train wreck, even though they were 4-12 and last year as well. Um like the Jags could easily steal a march on that division, and I mean they win games within the division. I think is a big thing. Like whatever about how good the rest of the teams are and what you're dealing with in terms of just 
going up against them. Like the Jags could beat any of those teams next year. So I think the Jags are a good pick. I, I was gonna, I was thinking the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, in part yeah. just by having a healthy quarterback. Right. You assume a healthy, a healthy everybody, healthy quarterback, healthy playmakers, Nick Bosa coming back. The problem there is I, I'm a little worried about that division, man. That's a tough division. That's mm -hmm. the opposite of the AFC South, right? I mean, the yeah. the Rams – I'll talk about the Rams in a second. I'm wondering if people are overrating them. I mean, so there were – I saw some early betting lines uh, for every game. And, and I saw a little matrix. And I was just looking through, looking through. The Rams, as of at least one book, Rams are favored over the Bucks in week three. Hmm. Just parking lot that for a second. We'll come back to it. But the 49ers in that... Parking lot that for yeah, yeah, a second? Yeah. Is that a, that's not a thing. Yeah, parking lot it. Put, you just made that up. That's no, not that's, a phrase. It's business jargon. Come on. No. Remember no. Johnny Carson? I do. Remember when Johnny Carson came in? Yeah. I wonder if he watches. He was going to turn this place... Turn this place around. Yeah. Use that, use that business jargon a lot. Huh. I hate how much business jargon has just steeped, steeped into my regular jargon. Seeped is the word. Seeped is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, seeped. Yeah, yeah sorry. Good thing we're not live. Right. They'll clean all this. Oh, up it's almost. <laughs> Cut that. Yeah, fix my mistake. We don't, we don't have mistakes here on the PFF NFL uh, podcast. This would, Never. The, this would be the cleanest show we've ever put out. Yeah, absolutely. Tight. No, uh, no, no, whatever. Don't ever cut Diversions. Any, no, don't what's cut the that. word I'm looking for? It uh, doesn't matter. Digressions. There you go. We can't find any words right now. Well, that's all split out as well. So yeah. that's perfect. Digressions. Perfect. So the 49ers were 6-10 and 10 last year. Uh, they should be a better football team. Um, but even last year, it's like their point differential minus fourteen. Like they were still, I mean, they're they're playing like an eight and eight type of team with Jimmy Garoppolo only playing a handful of games, uh, and receivers are back. Nick Bosa's back, as we said. But the Rams, they're really good, no matter what Vegas thinks about them. The Seahawks are really good, and the Cardinals potentially really good. So that division's tough. Um, but I like the Niners. To uh, they're a year removed from being a Super Bowl team. I thought they, yeah. I thought they overachieved in 2019. They underachieved in 2020. They'll converge somewhere in the middle with they nine were, or ten wins this year. They were just an absolutely destroyed team in terms of injuries. So you give them their receivers healthy for the year, as opposed to dealing with one guy healthy for most of the year. You give them a quarterback maybe healthy for the year, but at this point you probably have to factor in some kind of injury for Jimmy G. Nick Bosa back, as you say. The secondary is now a bit more of a question mark again because Richard Sherman's probably not going to be there. Um, you're relying on Jason Verrett now as opposed to, hey, if Jason Verrett makes it through five minutes, it's a bonus. Uh, so that could unspool pretty quickly. But they were just so badly wrecked last year with injuries that if they go from that to just middle of the pack, they don't even need to be healthy uh, compared with everybody else, then sure, yeah, they're, they get a lot better. But as you say... That division's pretty tough. That division, the Cardinals could improve a lot this year and still end up the bottom team of that division, everybody getting fired, which is pretty rough for them. Yeah, one of our emailers said that if you know, it's, it's a it's a zero-sum game, right? And it, I think his his basic premise is we're, we're going to spend this whole offseason. And on, if you look at our analysis of the 32 teams, we're probably somewhat optimistic about 25 to 30 of them, right? Like, oh, this team got better and they improved here and they added this and added that. But clearly, that's not the, the reality because you, every game, it's either a win or a loss for the most part. So it, the, the Cardinals are that team, right? It's like, well, Kyler Murray's in year three. Mm. J.J. Watt comes in. New Hopkins is still there. The old line's really good. But they could go eight and eight again. They could go seven and nine. They could right. go ten and six. I felt this way about the Browns Actually, last year. Actually, 17 games. Oh, yeah. I have to get used to this. Mm. 
Oh, they could go eleven and six. They yeah. could go. They could go twelve. But and they could five. end up. They could end up <laughs> below five hundred. So if they were eight and eight last year, five hundred, perfect. They could go below five hundred this year, but be a lot better. And I agree. Everybody at the end of the season gets fired because it's a step backwards in the eyes of ownership, et cetera. That would be a, that's a pretty tough spot to be in for the Cardinals. It's really hard to sell like ownership on the idea of we've actually gotten better even if our record got worse. Like that, it's just a really hard argument to make in NFL circles. And yet, like the car, if they take a step forward this year and Kyler Murray plays better and the offense shows some evolution and looks significantly more dangerous and difficult to stop than it was a year ago, um, or at least causes teams more problems, you know, J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones provide more pass rush, all those kinds of things. If they're a better team and they still they don't win as many games, they end up going uh, seven and ten or eight and nine. Um, it's going to be really hard to prevent everybody getting fired. And yet that would be, okay, it would be a small step, but that would be a consistent improvement year on year on year of this regime. Like if you sort of look at it in the totality of what they've done since Kingsbury and Kyla Murray came on, they would be taking steps forward the whole way. And yet you would almost chop the head off it because they didn't take a big enough step because everyone else got better. But is there a division where you would not, you would legitimately not be surprised if any of the four teams won the division. Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals, or 49ers. I would not be surprised if any of those teams won. I there's not another division where you could say that. You've got the Bucks as clear favorites. I mean, the NFC East, I'd be surprised if the Eagles won. The NFC North, of course, I'd be surprised if the Lions won. Yeah, I mean, the NFC East would be the closest, because, but at a lesser degree of quality. I think um, AFC North. Because I guess if, if the, the Bengals, Bengals won, I'd be surprised. Yes. But the other three teams, right? But the Bengals be crazy. Would be a shock. I mean, the AFC East is the same, right? You could see Buffalo, Miami, and New England winning that. If the Jets won it, it would be a pretty significant shock. I, I just think the NFC West is going to be one of the best divisions to watch, and uh, I think your point is strong too. Even so, the Rams could do the same thing. They could be eight and eight. Let's talk Rams. Why? Why is everyone, or why is Vegas? Why are people so high on the Rams? Is there is it the McVeigh factor? Is there revisionist history on Matthew Stafford? Yeah, well, it's not It's not so much revisionist history. It's that a lot of people have always thought Matthew Stafford was a lot better than he actually has been. So all those people automatically think, hey, you, play, you pair that guy with Sean McVeigh, and you've got like one of the best quarterback coach tandems in the NFL. You've got an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. You've got a Kyle Shanahan plus anybody. Like That's what they think has happened here. But anybody that's looked at Matthew Stafford and has said, you know what, he actually flatters to deceive a lot more than he plays at that kind of all-pro level all the time is like, I mean, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. He isn't that much of an upgrade over what they've had. So I think it, it's not revisionist. We're not going back and saying, hey, I know I said that Stafford wasn't great at the time, but when you look back at it, he's actually amazing. And now you pair him with, like, it's just those people have always been higher on him than they probably should have been. I mean, the argument could be made, though, too. Stafford has been playing the best football of his career these last the, the last three years. There, there have yeah. been – you know, last year at this time, you were like, ah, it was a small sample size in 2019 when he graded really well and he got hurt. Last year he was solid, but, he, you know, just looking at PFF IQ and all the stable and unstable metrics, he's, he's in that 75th percentile or so as far as stable metrics go. And I think it's when you combine that with McVay, when you combine that with a good offensive line, and the playmakers, I think the expectation is McVay 2.0. This this 
offense you've been talking about the last couple of years. Come on, Sean McVay, take that offense to the next level. That is the expectation. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to factor in a little bit that, like, last year, everybody played well at quarterback. I mean, last year, record-setting numbers across the board, offense through the roof, passing offense through the roof. Every quarterback basically played well last year. So if you're – now, Stafford, your point is good in terms of 2019 was like half of a career year as well. So you put the two of them together, it's a little more data. But anybody who you're pointing to like last year was a career year for them at quarterback, that's true for most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so it's a little bit of an asterisk there. But look, Stafford has the potential paired with McVay to be a really exciting – enticing dominant combination like we're finally going to get that answer of what happens when you pair Stafford with an offensive-minded head coach that can tailor the offense a little bit to what he does really well um but there's a reasonable chance that he does the same thing he's always done which is there's some great play in there there's some bad play in there and it shakes out to like pretty good not great my initial feeling is that if the Rams are the they're at home against the Bucks. Last year, they beat the Bucs, right? Last year, they, the Rams had just such an incredible defense. Brandon Staley was the defensive coordinator. They wouldn't let anything get completed beyond, their, uh, beyond 20 yards. Six passes or something the entire season. So part of my question, too, is what happens to that defense with Brandon Staley moving on? Raheem Morris is coming in. Are, are they running the same scheme? Is he bringing in his own few wrinkles? I mean, obviously, I can't imagine McVay's just bringing in a new guy and like hey run your scheme we were awesome last year completely change everything so i'm sure there's elements of it but they've got questions in the second they, there's a lot of pressure with josh johnson moving on with troy hill moving on so as much as stafford probably does elevate that offense a little bit there i think they've gotten weaker in a couple other spots so I, I i'm a little bit lower on the rams i think than the than public perception and i don't know if public perception is just their defense was so is it based off the defense being so good last year or it, which is we know is tends to fluctuate, or is it because of Stafford? Um, I mean, so so part of this show is going to be teams that you know maybe are going to drop off a little bit. I don't know if the Rams are going to drop off. I just don't think they're this top five team that a lot of you know sports books and just people are are anticipating. What's interesting to me is always how far along how how capable is Sean McVay of doing what Kyle Shanahan has done for the last ten years, which is take a system that's already fairly well established and good and consistently move it on here's step one here's step two here's step three and we get better and better every year and okay you figured out how to take away this thing well we're gonna add a new wrinkle that you got to deal with and every year kyle shanahan's offense gets more and more difficult to cope with even when he's playing tin cup and getting it done with nick mullins at quarterback and cj bethard and whatever right mcveigh hasn't done that he has had a system that that was really good right away and as soon as defenses started to peg it back and figure out how to deal with it, he is it's it's leveled off. And he has he's just about kept pace with the defenses that are taking things away. But he hasn't like it's he hasn't he's not winning the arms race with defenses, right? At the moment it's about a level level playing field. And every time a defense comes up with something to slow him down, he just about figures out a way of maintaining that. But like, if, if Matthew Stafford had gone to San Francisco, for example, instead of the Rams, you'd be like, okay, now we're about to see something pretty special. Matthew Stafford with Kyle Shanahan, now you're going to see some fireworks. No, it's But Stafford with McVay, you're like, I mean, all right, it's, it's better than Jared Goff, but are you really confident in McVay 
like elevating Stafford to this plane that he's never been at before? It's a fair point because what we don't have, what we have with Kyle Shanahan is many data points. And many different, yeah, many different quarterbacks. Many, many data points. We don't have many data points on McVay. Right. He had Kirk Cousins, and I think at the time it would be fair to say he helped elevate Kirk Cousins, but Kirk continues to put up, he continues to produce. Now, Kirk's and always been better in Minnesota than he ever was in Washington. True. Uh, but I also think Kirk has, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's always had this incredible receiving goal. Other than 2018, when they uh, they had the good receivers, but the offensive line was was kind of bad. I mean, but he's always had a really good supporting cast, and he's always been in this Shanahan tree of play callers that do a good job of uh, systemizing their quarterbacks and getting production out of them. Sure, right. So, um, but with McVay, we've only seen him with a little bit of Kirk and with a whole bunch of Jared Goff. So I think we're going to get, you know, me and QB data points, Sam. We're going to get more information on Jared Goff this year, go into a different system. We're going to get more information on Sean McVay. Yeah. Uh, you know, having uh, different quarterbacks. If you're lower on the Rams like I am, you know, off the top of my head, you can go to Symbol and uh, and play the stock market with teams. PFF has partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Stock market for sports. It allows you to trade sports teams like stocks, earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts in NFL free agency. We still have a few moves to be made and you know change the power structure around the league. You can also maybe just listen to the PFF NFL podcast. We'll give you some takes on teams. You go over to Symbol and it's like, well, Sam's... Sam's high on the Jags. Let's 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 invest in the Jaguars. So you could use promo code PFF and deposit ten bucks at symbol.app/pff to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a ten dollar deposit at symbol.app/pff to earn a free annual subscription. All right, so I, I jumped right to teams maybe dropping off. Any other teams taking a big leap this year? Uh, Dallas. I mean- yeah, so Dallas should be a lot better. Like, yes, Dallas just getting Dak Prescott back is transformative for them. Um, they should be significantly better because of that. Like, it's difficult to say. Thing is, they were already kind of good. Like, their entire season basically was good with Dak, bad without Dak. Now they get Dak back, so they should be in contention. Like, Dallas is a good roster. Um, now, there's a way that it doesn't go well. We've talked before about for the first time that offensive line could actually not be great just based off the talent that they have there. Um, and also, it's conceivable that Dak Prescott was playing last year at a, the high watermark for Dak, right? That actually, even forget coming back from an injury, just Dak doesn't necessarily play at that level going forward, even though his supporting cast in terms of receivers and probably offensive line is very good. But you still would think that they should be a significantly better football team than they were without him. So, yeah, I think they're definitely a team that should take a jump forward. Um, And I think you have to expect the Patriots to be a lot better. Like, just the amount of money they threw at this thing, the idea of Cam Newton in year two and whatever they're trying to cook up there, this pivot to a heavier set of offense with two tight ends being heavily invested in. Um, You know, maybe they're a team that snags on Julio Jones, which is a, a big needle mover. The Patriots, even though that division should still be really tough, could get a lot better than like seven and nine and never really in it last year. Yeah, I mean the Patriots were seven and nine with just a terrible group of playmakers and the defense regressing. Right. So the defense 
kind of reverting back to 2019 form. Uh, don't forget, in the first half of 2019, the Patriots' defense was shutting down everyone. Now, granted, yeah. we always talk about how quarterback-driven that is. They're playing Luke Falk and, you know, yes. you know uh, co- uh, not COVID. Um, what did Darnold have? Mono. Mono, Darnold, and all that. I mean, they were playing some ridiculous. <laughs> and then they ran into good quarterbacks and yeah. whatever. But the defense should be better in New England. And you buy maybe the Mac Jones hype. He's already got some swagger, they say, over at camp, and he's balls on the face mask every single time. Maybe Mac Jones is just the day one starter slinging it around and with an improved group of guys here. That would certainly be interesting. Um, All right, let me just get you down. Let me just aggravate you a little bit. What about the Vikings? No. I'm higher on the Vikings. Take fandom out of it for a minute. We don't talk about this a lot, but you yeah. get you get a little too emotional with the Vikings. You don't see you don't see how big a leap do you think they can take? You don't see a clear picture. They went the seven Vikings. and nine last year. They can get better than that. But how good do you think they can be? Ten and seven. <laughs> ten and seven. It sounds so weird. I'm really getting <laughs> so used to this thing. So they win. I'm just going to say ten and six, and then I'll just assume a tie. They're ten and six. Ten six right. and one. So they win three more games. I mean, ten wins might win that division if they if win Rogers three more games gone. with one extra attempt. Rogers, I mean, that's, yeah, that's ten or eleven reasonable. wins. That's reasonable, but I don't consider that a particularly large leap. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think they'll be more competitive. I, it, maybe that's not that crazy because they were a playoff team in 2019. Yeah. Last year, they 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 went to the, through this rebuild, and and I think I think there's going to be, I think they're going to profit on some on their youth movement a little bit I this mean, year. That defense got torched last year, and it shouldn't be as bad this year. Like right. that was the worst defense Mike Zimmer has ever presided over. You're getting a ton of players back, like Danell Hunter, who was your only real pass rusher, should be back, assuming he doesn't. You know, force a trade or, or whatever that that un- unravels. Um, Michael Pierce coming back, Dalvin Tomlinson coming over. The like I wrote an article actually that should be on PFF today about look Patrick Peterson off on the surface looks like hey we just get this name of an old guy that used to be great but has been actually pretty bad the last couple of years. But in Mike Zimmer's defense, I think there's a chance that Patrick Peterson actually has a bit of a resurgence and plays pretty well. His numbers over the last couple of years in zone are way better than they are playing man coverage. Um, And the beauty of Mike, so we talk about the Vikings a lot and Zimmer's defense as being like this two, four, six split safety type of scheme. Yeah, cover two, cover four, cover six. But actually when you look at it, they basically run everything. And and everything to almost an exact, like like an even distribution of everything. So their highest two percentages of coverage, coverage shells run are actually cover one and cover three, but they're at like 16.2%. And then the next two are 15.2 and 14.8. So the thing is they they run 15% of everything, right? Like across the board, every single coverage, the Vikings are essentially running it for 15% of the time. Um, and so what that does as a, an offense is it makes you prepare for everything. You, the, the, the strength of that defense is like the surprise element of you don't really know what you're going to be looking at until the ball is snapped and you have to diagnose it during the play. And critically, they play way more zone than Peterson has been asked to do. And his, so his, his PFF grade, I think, is like 15 points higher in zone versus man the last couple of years. His coverage numbers are way better. Like he's given up a passer rating of 114 in man coverage. That number drops to 69, I think, in zone coverage. By the way, he was the opposite of this early in his career. Yeah, he was a man cover specialist. But like when you get to be 31 years old and you were a guy that used to be amazing athletically, 
Now you've got to go up against a Julio Jones and you've lost a step and you're not quite the physical freak that you used to be. That hurts your man coverage ability, Very right? Very relatable. Right, exactly. Like, people act as if man coverage is just inherently a more difficult skill. I don't think that is necessarily true, but I think it's a skill that is way more reliant on physical tools, whereas zone coverage is actually more reliant on mental tools and the ability to read plays and those kinds of things, right? So you agree the Vikings are going to be much better. So it's not that zone coverage is easier than man coverage. It's, just, it's, it's exercising a different skill set. And right now, Patrick Peterson, I think, has the skill set to be a better zone corner than he does a man corner, whereas earlier in his career, the reverse was true. Look at you, optimistic about the Vikings. So my point is the Patrick Peterson might actually be a pretty good corner next year as a starter for the Vikings. If Danzler takes a step forward at the other spot, their secondary gets a lot better. So I think the defense across the board will be better. The offense will probably be about the same. Um, and overall, that will shake out to a couple of extra wins, but it doesn't strike me as a seismic jump. All right, which teams drop off this year? Um, again, I, I mentioned the Rams. As, they're, they're, they're not necessarily this team. They were 10-6. and six. If they go 10-7 and seven or 11-6, and six, <laughs> this is so weird. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, but that you know that's. But I, I feel like people think they're twelve or thirteen win team. I mean, right now, yeah. Who's going to drop off this year? Well, the obvious one is if Green Bay doesn't have Aaron Rodgers, they're boned. Yeah, they were thirteen and three. Yeah, they're not. And thirteen and three the year before, they're not going thirteen. And, well, they're not they going thirteen and three anyway. They won't go they're not going. They're not winning thirteen games without Aaron Rodgers. Right, so there's the Rodgers factor. Do you think they drop off regardless? You know, so there's two ways of looking at the last two 13-win yes. teams for the Packers, right? We said they didn't play that well in 2019. Last year they did. They dominated offensively. It was old-school Rodgers, but we, we've talked on here too. There's got to be some regression from Rodgers having that incredible well, grade. Not just that. So, yes, I think people suffer a lot from recency bias just generally. Like you when think? I, yeah. When I did the safety rankings, one of the biggest things that people were upset about was – we had Jesse Bates, who was our number one graded coverage or coverage safety last year. We had him in the top 10 somewhere, right? Not one, you know, like lower in the top 10. I think it was seven or eight. And point number one, unlike some other positions, there's actually a load of really good safeties. And you get 10 deep easily, and you're still talking about like pro bowlers and all pros and like high-end quality players. You get 15 deep, and you're still talking about very good football players. Whereas, you know, guard, you're 15 deep. You're talking about guys that you're not even that in love with starting. Um, so being number seven or eight on a list of safeties in today's NFL is actually a pretty good place to be. Number two, Jesse Bates had a 90-plus grade last year. It was the number one graded uh, cover safety in the NFL. The year before, he was like 76th. Yeah. So, like... 90 now he's 24 years old or whatever safety and corner more than any other position you have to take multi-year samples and, yeah. and that's the thing when we're doing these ranking lists you have to take multi-year samples right. anyway but, but the problem is when you're looking at a player who's like 24 and saying okay he was okay he was pretty good as a rookie he was yeah okay the next year and then he took this big leap forward in year three he's 24 years old that's his breakout year now he's a superstar like well okay maybe on the other hand Sometimes players have amazing years, and the next year they're not as good. So even if you say that that's part you of his— just describe Josh Allen? Yeah. You call I mean, him Josh Allen to regress? Even if you say that that's part of his natural development curve, you should probably expect him to be worse next year because it's just anybody at that level of extreme, particularly at a position like safety where it swings wildly year to year, like just, it's just a smarter bet. 
Like if you were given two options, will Jesse Bates maintain his grade next year because that was his breakout year at 24 years old or get worse? Which side would you take? Yeah. Get worse, right? So you expect him to get worse. The Packers, they had three players last year have career years, have PFF grades above 90, and were arguably the best player at their respective position. It was Aaron Rodgers, it was Devontae Adams, and it was Jair Alexander. Now, those happen to be the three most important positions in the NFL, and you would say, just in the balance of probabilities, again, each one of those three is more likely to regress a bit than they are to repeat that year. And if all three of them do... That is a massive, like, drop-off just, just from those three. I got a question for you. Yes. Has having all of the PFF data and studying it the way we have and the way our colleagues have through the years, has that uh, – tainted's not the right word, but has, has it changed the way you are analyzing that? Because, yeah. say, 10 years ago – Absolutely. 10 years – so, like, let's not blame the people who say that's a breakout year, right? Jair because Alexander is a perfect ago, example. He Like Jesse Bates, Jair Alexander, if you were – if before PFF, pre-PFF, you would be looking at that and you're saying, well, it's his breakout year. Now he's a 90 plus player. You would have said the same thing, right? Right. I would have said the same thing. Yeah, exactly. You would be saying that was his breakout year. Now he's the best corner in the NFL going forward. Now he's one of them. Like he will be one of the better corners in the NFL going forward. But next year, Jair Alexander might grade at 85 instead of 90. He might grade at 80. And it would be like, that's a colossal drop off in terms of the impact he's making down to down but is just within the belt. Like, that's how it Just to be go. clear, this isn't, this is different by position. Yes. Right? As much as we talk about, hey, you know, the, the forecast guys joke, they joke. The defense doesn't matter. Um, they're trying to make a point. Their point is offense dictates how well the defense is going to play a lot. And that's especially true at receiver and corner. And the grading is grading production. Your production's going to fluctuate from year to year just more at corner or at safety than it will other positions Mm -hmm. the data has also pointed how many you know how many times have i talked about year three breakout offensive linemen right so it's in one hand we're like well jesse bates had the year three breakout but breakout age and rate and all that stuff is different at safety um from offensive line where we've seen many offensive linemen eric fisher and donovan smith guys who legitimately get better every year so I think, the to me, that's one of the more interesting things about football, right? The people who are anti-analytics or anti-numbers are like, well, there's too many moving parts, and you can't quantify it. And sure, there's a lot of stuff out there. But I think what, what, what you're able to do is to say, if you're looking at quarterbacks, my famous phrase is it's not Madden progression. They don't just get better every year. They tend right. to fluctuate a little bit. Supporting cast matters. At corner and safety, it's a little volatile, right? An offensive line, you do see guys make incremental improvements year over year. So I think those are the things we've been been able to kind of unlock in football that get uh, baked into our analysis when we discuss this stuff. And then it goes into the into rankings. You know, if a guy has a Jesse Bates type of breakout and he's an offensive tackle, I feel even David Bakhtiari went from like good, good, good to great. Mm-hmm. Went from good to great, Neil. And he stuck at great, right? I mean, that stuff happens more say, in the trenches than it does out on the perimeter. Yeah, and even within the three players that we mentioned, I think there are varying degrees of confidence you would have in each one of those guys backing up that 90-grade season. But my point generally is that the three most important players on your roster had career years that are probably not going to be repeated to the same degree next year. Now, you might see one of the guys drop off by three points, grading points. 
one of the guys drop off by five one of the guys drop off by 10 to 15 and but collectively that's like a 20 point grade drop of your three most important positions even if you assume Rodgers is back so yeah whether or not they have Rodgers it's going to be really hard for them to repeat what they did and if they don't have him (laughs) that's not good uh, other drop-off teams, I, you know, I've been, I, I think the Titans are a Julio away from not being on this list. Mm. I'm concerned about the Titans without Julio. Mentioned that on the last show. That that group of pass catchers beyond A.J. Brown. And look, maybe, maybe, it, maybe they have stumbled upon this run game and play action. And maybe Josh Reynolds replaces Corey Davis's production. Because he's running all these wide open, you know, intermediate routes and on play action, and Tannehill has actually become this ninety-plus quarterback. But I think there's there's still potential for Tannehill regression. Fewer dudes, fewer Corey Davises out there. Uh, unless Julio's over there, I'm worried about the Titans repeating at 11, 11 wins. Yeah, the again the the fact that that division is not strong is going to be a help. Um, like them and the Colts won 11 games last year again we don't know if the Colts are going to repeat uh like Tennessee could be worse and they're the opposite of the the Cardinals right they could actually be worse than end up with the same number of wins and think everything is rosy like they could drop off significantly in offense but if everybody else stays bad in that division it won't matter and they could still roll the one team that's the most obvious one is Pittsburgh like we've been uh, PFF as an entity has been crapping all over the Steelers since like the middle of last season when they were the last undefeated team in the league. They finished the season like or one and four. Everything was dropping off. Again, if you're talking about regression, their defense last year was phenomenally good. Like incredible pressure rate, incredible performance across the board. It dropped off late in the season. And that's when things started to completely unravel for them. The defense probably won't be as good this year. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that Bud Dupree is this massive loss, but things did tail off when Bud Dupree wasn't in the lineup. I don't think that the defense is set up to be as good as it was a year ago. I think you have to expect regression there. If Roethlisberger can't play a lot better this year than he did last year, the Steelers are going to, because, you know, Baltimore is still going to be really good. Cleveland got better. Cincinnati got better. The Steelers are in a tough spot to win. Is like they won twelve games last year. I could see the Steelers going either way. I, I, I really think there are there are years again. The court it, it so much comes down to the quarterback, and I don't want to get be lazy with that. But again, if Big Ben has a top ten caliber season, I yeah, wouldn't do you even be think surprised. he's capable of doing that anymore. Yeah, why? I don't, I don't think it's that crazy. I think it's pretty crazy. When was the last time Big Ben had a top ten caliber year? So in 2018, he didn't. He missed a lot of throws, but the positives were there, right? Like the yeah. the aggressiveness. So you're telling me you got to go back to 2017? No, 18. But if he plays the way he did in 18, which was a more aggressive downfield style, which was more vol- Jameis-y, it was Carson Palmery, I think that's fine is it? for the Steelers. Yes, because I can see Claypool. So th- this is the thing, right? The it's they have one The rest player. of the roster got worse yes. in Pittsburgh. The offensive line, the pass rush, the secondary. The other the other stuff got worse. But just like Matthew Stafford can kind of like undo the other things that the Rams got worse at, Big Ben being a little bit more aggressive, a lot more aggressive, a lot more aggressive, okay? Not a little, a lot. And Chase Claypool being, going from flashes of 
in, like incredible, just a little bit more consistent in year two. And Deontay Johnson just not dropping 14 balls, only dropping seven. That right? Like, literally those three things. Big Ben's aggressive, Claypool and Deontay Johnson, and Juju kind of being you know that that third guy. Those guys can bring the Steelers back up and uh, you know offset the places where they regressed. I'm not saying it's going to directly affect wins because I think they certainly overachieved winning 12 games last year. Their problem with the problem with that is Roethlisberger doesn't need doesn't just need to be more aggressive. He needs to be more aggressive and not have it come with a bunch of bad decisions as well. Like if he if he goes from you know just what he True. was last year, which is like rooted to the bottom of the field in terms of average depth of target and just hyper conservative and never pushing the ball down the field if he goes from that to Jameis it doesn't help like okay it's going to help sometimes the big plays will be great but if he if that comes with the volume of turnover worthy plays that Jameis brings with it it isn't going to help because he has one receiver that's capable of like fixing those throws you know Claypool is the one guy you think is you know a contested catch the kind of contested catch potential that can f fix the idea of just like YOLO balls deep down the field, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick style. Like if you give me a quarterback that's just going to put the ball in the air, I'll fix enough of those throws for it to be worthwhile. Claypool last year caught 33% of his contested catches. Now, they were spectacular when he did it, but he wasn't one of the best contested catch receivers in the NFL, and that's the only guy they have that but you the, think is going to do that. And that's all the un, it's all the unstable stuff. Okay, like if but that even becomes if, fifty, even if he even if that becomes fifty, that's the one guy you have capable of doing that, and that isn't going to do anything for you. The unstable stuff can revert back on their side, which is the drop rate, which was ridiculous for their entire receiving core. It was only ridiculous for Johnson. But as as what they have, the, yeah, Big Ben still had nonsense. the most drops. Yeah, he had fourteen, but still, right. he, they had the most. Eric Ebron had a time. I mean, that's Claypool had four drops. Juju had three. It's like, Juju was targeted at 0. .2 yards. Oh, whatever. They should also but just use him. They like they Matt the rest Canada of the receiving board didn't drop a lot of motion. I just get the vibes. Like, here's a mistake I think that is made. The the Packers had a bad off season last year. As far as making their football team better, they had a bad off season. But it didn't matter because Aaron Rodgers decided to be elite. Big Ben has been a top eight quarterback for the majority of his career. And all I'm saying is it, it, may, it still might be in him. It, you know, this could be his last year, his last run, and he wants to – he might be terrible. He could be terrible. Data would say he's on the decline. Uh -huh. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. Like it would surprise me if, I don't know, some other – give me another random Drew quarterback Locke. became – if Drew Locke became elite, it would surprise me. If Big Ben became a top ten quarterback, it would not. Surprise I would be me. very surprised if Big Ben played as an. I'm saying top ten to top year. twelve, whatever. Like the difference, one of the, well, two of the differences between Roethlisberger now and Aaron Rodgers before the revenge tour is one, Rodgers has shown like had shown zero client zero indication of physical decline, like whatever about how well he'd been playing up until last year. He didn't look like he was physically declining. Like he just looked like true. He wasn't playing as well. Um, and two, he didn't have what is now being termed a full reconstruction on his elbow. Now this is apparently full reconstruction. Apparently, usually is a euphemism for Tommy John surgery. But yeah, at the, the UCL. Time, yeah, but at the time it was specifically reported that it was not Tommy John surgery. So nobody actually knows what he had done to his elbow. 
but he is terming it a full reconstruction on his throwing elbow at 37 years of age. But honestly, I think that's the thing that um, that's actually more encouraging than discouraging. Is it? Yeah. Second year removed from Tommy John or major surgery, you'd generally be better. It was not Tommy John. Specifically not Tommy John. I said Tommy John or a major surgery. To me, what you gain in year two being back from it, you lose in the fact you're 30, whatever the hell he is, 38, 39. It's an old man. Right. You just, I don't, that's not coming back. Like you're not becoming old Roethlisberger physically. 39 years old now. 30, what do you gain in being year two removed from the not Tommy John surgery? You're losing for being 39 years old and your body just going to hell with this. Let me just say, because everything needs to be related to just, you know, you and I. I mean, I was throwing the ball around the other day, feeling pretty good. Yeah. I was jumping out of my hand. Huh. Ten years of rest, maybe. Good well, you didn't me. have a full reconstruction in your elbow. I didn't. I didn't need it. Right. No. Thankfully. You just needed to rest it for a while, like ten years. Yeah. I mean, I did get hurt on my way to the big leagues. I did get hurt. Oh, yeah? Curbed my uh, career path hmm. back in 08. It's a real shame. It was. It was. <laughs> now I'm stuck here. Yeah. Now you're stuck here. No regrets. All right, tell me why the, how the Saints are going to top their 12 wins. I don't think, I think they top it. I think they drop off. See, I don't think they do. I, the Saints are another obvious one where you're like, oh, they're losing Drew Brees, they're screwed. But Drew Brees didn't play well last year. Really didn't play well last year. Like, Drew Brees was a problem for a lot of the year last season. Now, I, I wouldn't say he was a problem. He was, I, but it, it was not. So it, it's, a, it's a nuanced it's a nuanced thing. Right? Look at which, the statistical output is, that occurred when he was the quarterback that I don't think was triggered by him, but look at the statistical correct. output that occurred. This is why it's a nuanced thing, which, as they say, in and of itself is difficult to achieve. Uh, Drew Brees, because the slider system, right, because he was still so high with accuracy and anticipation and knowing where to go with the ball, he was still able to execute an offense at a reasonably high level and for it to be productive um, on a consistent basis, and therefore the Saints to win a bunch of games. And his numbers are pretty good, right? Like 24 touchdowns, six interceptions. I'm sure his passer rating with those numbers is high, yeah, 106.4. Like Drew Brees was still able to be productive. The problem is that that arm strength was an issue all of the time. Even when he was completing passes, it was an issue. Like there were deep outs to Emmanuel Sanders where the ball is three, four yards under thrown. Sanders ends up coming back, diving to the turf, picking it up off his laces, making the catch, but it's short of a first down, whereas it should have been an easy moving the chains and you're on to the next series. Like, Drew Brees' arm was a consistent issue all the way through the season, and that's why his PFF grade is like 70, which is basically the same as Taysom Hill's. Now, they're very, they, that 70 grade, Drew Brees last season, PFF passing grade, 70.6. Taysom Hill, PFF passing grade, 69.8. So let's call them the same for the sake of 0.7. They were essentially the same passing grade that were that ar- you arrived at via vastly different ways. My point is simply that losing Drew Brees changes the offense a lot, but I don't know if it actually makes a drop off that much. The end. The floor is yours. So now it's rebuttal, sir. So now it's Jameis coming in. Is it though? It's Jameis. Is it? It's Tameis. Look, Jameis doesn't have a hundred and forty. No matter who comes in, right? Albeit fake. I think we would admit that there is there there are parts of the PFF system where you just there are zero graded throws, right? There are just expected throws. Drew Brees, even in his last season, his big decline season, 
is still making those zero graded expected throws over and over and over again. He still didn't he didn't miss a high percentage of throws relative to the rest of the league. He only did relative to Drew Brees. His accuracy was off for Drew Brees. The short area stuff was still there, and guys created after the catch almost ridiculously. There was the Alvin Kamara. There was so, how many Alvin Kamara just took over plays mm-hmm. were there last year? Yes, Kamara is still Kamara is still there, but you you can't expect that type of performance again i don't think from him and then i I always you know me i mean this the whole show is go through the playmate go through the receivers and tight ends jared cook was a good player for them he's gone emmanuel sanders was a good efficient player for them last year he's gone who is the guy opposite michael thomas if michael thomas gets hurt again like he did last year this is the worst group of playmakers in the entire nfl with michael thomas there they're bottom five bottom ten I have massive concerns about that with the great Jameis Winston, with Taysom Hill. I mean, honestly, their best bet, given this mix of players, might be the Taysom offense. Yeah. Where we talk about raising the floor with the run game and you you pop one over the top every this now and again and Deontay Harris is that guy. But, like, it's not exciting. But all that said, <clears throat> the Saints remind me a little bit of the Eagles a few years ago. Remember the Eagles? I always mention this. They had a top-five roster except at receiver and corner. Yeah. And the Saints have good corners, but cornerback two is a question mark, and they have one of the worst groups of receivers. So it almost, that would negate having a top five offensive line, a top five to eight defensive line, having this these really good units around the roster, having one of the best running backs. That stuff gets negated if you're not good at receiver and you can't stop the pass. People keep wanting to give this job to Jameis Winston because Taysom Hill is a punchline. And they paid him, not because he's a punchline, because they brought him back and paid him. They paid him like a fraction. Like, he's getting paid less than Taysom Hill, who they paid before. Yep, they um, made a point to bring him back. Yeah, because, like, you don't want to be left with just Taysom. Like, like they got Ian it's Book. contingency. Get Ian Book. But the point is, people are trying to give him this offense on the basis that, hey, you can't have Taysom Hill as your quarterback and be serious, like, be taken seriously at the NFL level. You just can't do it. But Taysom Hill is not the travesty at quarterback that, A, people think he is. And he's also not necessarily worse than Jameis Winston. It's Again, it's very different. Like, Taysom Hill is actually pretty accurate and pretty efficient underneath. He has one of the worst deep passes I've ever seen from an NFL quarterback. And it's not because he can't get the ball there. It's because he just puts it in the air like a second and a half too late every single snap. If no, you just the problem. If you just teach him how to put the ball in the air at the right time, that offense is cooking. It's the timing, man. It's it's not even we talk in these broad buckets of accuracy and this and that. And of course that's going to get worse with Breeze. It's the timing. You know, Breeze could lead. Well, of course it's worse than Drew Breeze, but we're not comparing Taysom him to Taysom Hill's Breeze timing anymore. is horrible. We're the comparing reason, him to Jameis. His deep ball is not necessarily bad because it doesn't come out of his hand well. It's because he throws it late. That's what he's, I'm saying. Yeah, he's that's tardy what on I just said. Okay. But he's tardy on everything. So, but he's way worse at the deep ball. Like he's able to execute the rest of the stuff reasonably. I don't think the, the deep stuff ball looks is great always either. just like a second and a half too late. And he's not putting the ball in the air. And we've enough. never seen Jameis run that quick hitting stuff. We've only seen Jameis right. in ten plus average depth of target type of system. <laughs> but I don't system. think that's Dirk necessarily Cutter. a good thing for him. Well, no, it's not good with this mix of playmakers. It's good when you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and you no, no, no. with mean, the Bucs. I mean, the fact that Jameis has not run this quick-hitting style of offense is not necessarily a positive for his prospect within this offense. No, I get it. I You're understand. not saying that, hey, because he's only ever run this like highly volatile, uh, low-percentage, high-risk style, when you put him in this efficient system, he'll look way better and everything. he'll be way better than Taysom. 
I think there's a reasonable chance that Jameis Winston stays Jameis within a different system, and it's just less effective, like Cam Newton. Like, reducing the risk of play you were expecting Cam Newton to execute didn't make Cam Newton way more efficient. It just made the offense less efficient. That happened in 2018, before Cam got hurt and uh, regressed back into Cam. All right, so I've got concerns about the Saints. Anyone else, any other regression candidates before we spent an hour getting through this stuff? But we've got uh, some other topics to hit on here. I think we've covered the obvious ones. Okay. How about some dark horse MVP candidates? Okay. Let's go through some odds here. Yeah, what are your odds? Um, just uh, taking this from uh, Action Network, I believe. Patrick Mahomes is the favorite at plus 600. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and here's what I'm talking about as far as the hype goes. Matthew Stafford mm. is tied for fourth in MVP odds with Tom Brady at plus 1,400. I honestly think Brady should be in the top three just having – and maybe I'm overrating just what happened in the second half of the season with the Bucs and the playoff run, but a full season with all those guys, yeah. second season in Arian system, I feel like Brady should be up in Mahomes-Rodgers territory even though he's 44. Lamar Jackson looks like a value at plus 1,600, former – MVP tied with Dak Prescott. Where's Baker? Now, Russell Wilson's below all these guys at plus 2,000. Yeah. And then there's a few more guys. Baker's at plus 4,000. You know who's below? Now you're talking. He is below. There's your dark horse. There's your bet. There's your value bet. He's below Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. Come on. Deshaun Watson. And ready? Ready for your head to explode? Carson Wentz. Stop. Plus 3,300. Baker, Baker Mayfield is less likely to win MVP than Carson Wentz. Don't give Wentz. me. See, you want to you speak out of both sides of your mouth here. You want to talk about we get too caught up in recency bias. Yeah. Carson, laughing at Carson Wentz. Give is me the period bias. of time. Give me the period of time required for Carson Wentz to be a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. 2017. Okay. He's better. No, no, no. Not just two. So you've got to go. I'm talking like how far have you got to go back where the sum is better? So don't not like 2017, Carson Wentz was better than Baker Mayfield. But 2017, 18, 19, and 20, Baker's probably better. Yes. So is there what? How far have you got to go back for Carson Wentz? The totality of evidence to be better. I think by 2000. No, when you were in the 2019 season. Yes. And uh, I famously back when I was being a snarky Twitter guy, somebody I put my QB rankings out there, our QB rankings, PFF. Baker was ahead of Wentz, and somebody said, in what world is Carson Wentz a better QB than Baker Mayfield? And I did my snarky quote tweet, and I said, Earth. Now, wow. in 2019, That's and terrible, I felt really strong about joke. it. That's the world. In, 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 during that season, I started to uh, rethink that, because that was when Baker dropped off. Yeah. And, and Wentz dropped off in the second half of the season as well, but his, I mean, his situation really dropped off. But if you looked at Wentz at that point, and had, he had a decent rookie season, an MVP caliber 17, an OK 18, an OK 19. And Baker had had a – he'd been really good at Oklahoma, a really good rookie season, and then he, and then he plummeted in his second year. There was, they probably crossed paths in 2019. Right, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that because it's not recency bias to just record the most recent information in addition to the other information. So there was a point in time where Carson Wentz – would have been seen as a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. But what I'm saying is, if you're starting from now, looking back, how far can you go back adding all of the evidence together? What, what level of cumulative data can you create that makes, from this vantage point, Carson Wentz a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield? I would put it to you 
that you can't actually go back far enough for that to happen. If you include their entire careers, Baker Mayfield looks better. If you include Carson Wentz back when Baker Mayfield was still playing at Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield looks better. All you can, the only way you can make Carson Wentz look better than Baker Mayfield is not if you, uh, is by dismissing what has happened since he was better than Baker Mayfield, which is not recency bias. It's just ignoring data. Carson Wentz has some of that just volatility to him, though, that he can right. have those high ends. As does Baker. That's why it's making a bet. You're betting on volatility because right. they're both long but What shots. I'm telling you is that you can't, the only way you can craft a scenario where Carson Wentz is better than Baker is if you say, 2017 is the only thing that matters. I don't know. I, how about week seven? By week seven, yes. what were we saying? Let's not let's not forget. By week seven of last year, Baker had been horrible against the Ravens, uh-huh. just okay in other games, and absolutely disastrous against the Steelers. Week seven of last year. Now, Carson Wentz was the worst quarterback in the NFL at that point. For the record, year. their entire careers, Baker Mayfield has a PFF grade of 87. Carson Wentz is 82. They're about five points different in passing grade. Uh, now, you're saying since week seven last, last year? Okay, let's see. What At week right. seven last year, uh-huh. Baker was not looking good. Was probably better than Wentz. Probably. I bet, his, I bet his grade jumped from 82 to 87 just since that point overall in his career. Week seven. That's a very specific time frame. Yeah, it is. All right, week seven. Oh, very close. Week seven, Baker Mayfield had a PFF grade of 66.3 which is slightly better oh, than Carson Wentz's 65.2. His passing grade was five points higher. I'm not even comparing, I'm not even comparing them, both of them anymore. I'm, yeah, just yeah, I'm, ta- just, I'm just saying, let's not... Like, Baker had a really good finish to last season, but he was not looking good early last year, and it was coming off that 2019 disaster. Yeah, it was also, like the, it was also the, the first time the offense, he'd been dealing with that offense, and they had no preseason. Like, and he started the season with... Two games in short order against two of the best defenses in the NFL. Of course, he played like crap for the first half of the year. I think um, let's just get through. Let's get down every rabbit hole. I think I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline. This is uh, well, that's, that's how you. That's enough. That's how you take in information here in uh, 2021. Uh, Mike Sando was was writing about. I think offenses are going to regress this year. Was and I think his. I believe his premise, which I believe he hinted at on Twitter, was the uh, was the crowd factor. Okay. Right. Um, so, do you buy into that? Do you buy in Rogers, who's so good pre-snap? We, Chris and everybody, a lot of broadcasters mentioned this. You could hear the defensive calls last year. You it didn't have didn't to deal hurt. with crowd noise. I'm sure yeah. that helped a ton. I think it's a way smaller variable than like if they started calling holding again, as opposed True. to just like do what you like. Like, it, so you think it was more the refs, the refs being more lenient on offensive holding. Yeah, rather than the fact that Rogers I think that was a way bigger part of it than like every now and again Rogers catches them in a uh, with a hard count and gets a big play. Yeah. All right. Cool. So Baker's plus four thousand. That's a good long shot pick. I was going to say Tannehill's a good long shot pick. He's plus twenty five hundred. He's right there with Justin Herbert. Kyler Murray is tied with Russell Wilson plus two thousand. I think Kyler's a good shot. Yeah, you get those those run pass, yeah. um, the ability to add rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Moves the needle. On the other hand, he had a bunch of them last year and was never in the conversation. So, he was. Like, he was early in the season. They were like, oh, he's an outside. Yeah, but like early, like early in the season doesn't matter. Like the point, the, the critical part about MVP is that your team actually needs to be winning a lot of games for you True. to be really in the conversation. Like Deshaun Watson was as, had as good a case as anybody last year to actually be the MVP. 
but the Texans won four games, so he was never in the conversation. I got a good one for you. What do you got? Not as a good long shot, but a curious one. You know who's tied with Baker Mayfield at plus 4,000? Somebody like a cornerback or something. No. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Speaking God, of rushing touchdowns. Stop touchdown. it. That, Jay- by the way, is a good, like, forget the Wednesday. Did Baker Mayfield is tied with Jalen Hurts for MVP odds? So if you were to use, so first off, Jalen Hurts has better MVP odds than Matt Ryan, Joe Burrow, Cam Newton, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. If you are buying into, now MVP odds are based off of the market and money and stuff. But if you're buying into this and you tried to almost tier these quarterbacks based off of. I'm going to go put money on Baker right now. Do it. If you're trying to tier quarterbacks based off of some of this information. This information might imply, you know, Baker led a playoff team in the with you know in the Browns last year. Carson Wentz has led playoff caliber teams before. I think the Eagles are in a complete rebuild. But if Jalen Hurts is this good and has MVP odds and similar to Matt Ryan and Joe Burrow, who we think is good, and Cam Newton, who has been an MVP before, and Kirk Cousins, who's been good. That would imply that maybe the Eagles aren't the five-win team that they feel like, that they're actually a playoff caliber team. Like, if Jalen Hurts is that good, and he does does add that rushing ability and hits open throws like he always showed at Oklahoma and Alabama, uh, plays with a little better timing, are are we underrating the Eagles? I don't think we're underrating them. I think, look, Jalen Hurts might have one of the widest – range of outcomes of any quarterback in the NFL if he plays at the high end of that range of outcomes the Eagles are a good team because suddenly you have a quarterback that's a dynamic dual threat nightmare to defend in addition to hey look at that receiving core that suddenly has Devontae Smith um, Travis Fulgham you assume Jalen Rager probably plays a lot better if he's got a good quarterback thrown on the ball like the offense with the offensive line coming back the running back the backfield they have there that offense will be good but how likely is that to actually happen? Like Jalen Hurts last year had a grade of 56. He, like he got a ton of hype for like five minutes based off not being Carson Wentz. And then actually after a couple of games, it's like, you know what? This Jalen Hurts thing isn't as great as we thought it was. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. And then pointlessly benching him in the last week of the season to get a look at Nate Sudfeld or whatever it was. They didn't, that wasn't pointless. Of course it was pointless. That earned them the sixth overall pick. Yeah, like what a waste of space that was. That turned into Devontae Smith and another first rounder. Whatever. That was a great move by the Eagles organization. Stop it. What? You, Mr. Mr. We don't tank, you can't foster a losing attitude. You want to throw the game at week 17, throw Nate Sudfeld out there? Yeah, you didn't a game tank. you were probably going to lose anyway. Tanked by one the way. game, you took you, you know, took some heat for a couple days, and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're picking sixth. Yeah. Um, anyway, my point is that the Jalen Hurts thing, like the gloss came off that pretty freaking quickly once you actually had to see him play. Um, so, sure, maybe there's a world that he takes this giant leap forward and you get one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL because of that athleticism and the arm and everything that he could theoretically do. But you've got to ask yourself how likely that is to happen, and I would say not very. Is there an even darker horse candidate? I don't know, how far can you go down? What's your list of... That's, I mean, that's all I've got for odds that I copied over. I mean, the Baker Mayfield down one Down to plus 5,000. It's the most ridiculous. Like, I like Baker as far as value he has the same goes. odds as Jalen Hurts is, is absurd. What would Ryan Fitzpatrick's odds be? <laughs> I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick... How about Big Ben? He's not on this list. You're more likely to get a 85 grade out of Fitzpatrick by the end of the year than you are Jalen Hurts. Ooh, write that one down. That's good. 
I would say significantly more likely. Now, I, I don't think either of them are likely, but you are more likely to get that Ryan Fitzpatrick over a year than you are Jalen Hurts. I, I just think Hurts and those runners have um, more residual effect. Anyway, so there's your MVP. Did you not see Fitzpatrick scampering in OTAs? That he's, he's, he's old scamper. man Fitz still got wheels. All right, who are the players most likely to take a Tannehill, Josh Allen-like leap to elite status in 2021? <laughs> I have a non-quarterback name. Oh, I'm thinking right. of. Start with that. How about Quinnen Williams? Hmm. Is that cheating? Third overall pick? No. I think if you're looking at third overall pick status, he's probably underachieved slightly. But I think with better uh, having better talent around him, he did have uh, number 14 overall grade. Let me see when we just resource. Number 13 overall grade last year, 81.4 for the Jets. Took a big step forward as a pass rusher. It looks like he had eight sacks by our numbers. Don't know what the NFL had him with. I can see Quinnen Williams taking another step forward. He's graded at 67 and then 81. If he became a 90 this year and jumped into elite status, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Quinnen Williams is, I my, could buy that. is my selection. Do you have one? Yeah. You're going to love this. Daniel Jones. Really? Daniel Jones. Look, Daniel Jones is taking all manner of crap because last year – he had 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. I just want... The year I, before... Hold on, hold on. Sorry. I'm not supposed to interrupt you. It's mean. Hmm. I just want to replay... Can we find what you were saying about Daniel Jones last year at this time? No. Uh, the year before, he had 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. But his numbers got better last year other than that touchdown-to-interception ratio, right? Okay, yards per attempt was the same. But big-time throw rate went up by almost a full percentage point. Uh, turnover-worthy play rate went down by two and a half percentage points. Um, his average depth of target was slightly lower. His drop rate went through the roof, so that's a bunch of stuff that wasn't his fault. Um, his passer rating went down because those touchdowns weren't there. His average time to throw went down, so the biggest flaw of his is this obliviousness in the pocket and hanging onto the ball too long and then people just taking it away from him in the pocket. He, if his time to throw rate goes down, that reduces the number of those plays that exist. So, and his PFF grade went massively up. Like it raised almost 15 points. Uh, it went up 10 points in terms of passing grade. So Daniel Jones has already taken a significant step forward year one to year two. If he takes another step forward year three of similar magnitude, he will be a very good quarterback this year. He now has a much better receiving core to work with. Okay, that offensive line still scares the crap out of me, and that could derail the whole thing. But I would not be very surprised if Daniel Jones plays very well this year. You've, my, how you've changed your tune, man. I mean, you, you change just, it based off the evidence. You've right? got more, you, you got more information. Yeah. I think the two-year sample is just, that's Daniel Jones, man. I've the gone from being... two-year sample, I think it's Daniel Jones. I've gone from being lower on Daniel Jones than most people to being higher on Daniel Jones than most people based off the two-year evidence we have. Yeah, hey, look, and so to paraphrase what you and I were probably saying last year at this time was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All you guys are looking at is the couple games where he had three games with four touchdowns and no picks, right? And it was very exciting. One, yeah. two, but he had a bunch two of games with four and zero in one game with five touchdowns and no picks um, against the Lions, the Jets, and the football team, yeah. who he just dominates, right? Dominates the football but team. critically, right? Lions, zero picks, three turnover-worthy plays in that game. Yep. Uh, Jets, zero picks, three turnover-worthy plays in Incredible. that game. Incredible. 
Washington, five or five touchdowns, zero picks. Okay, there was one turnover. But the point is, generally, the numbers were not reflecting oh, no. what was actually happening. Right, and I, I see him. So like after last year, we were like, hold on. He had 24 touchdowns. Okay, great. Right. Touchdowns don't tell the story. His pocket presence was terrible yes. with his fumbles. Everything was bad there. Um, and he flashed some of those in really impressive big-time throws. He was still my, my Nick Foles comp was, was holding strong, hmm. right? This guy that was going to be a roller coaster ride and the production was going to be really tied to a little bit of lock and a little bit of supporting cast. Last year, the supporting cast was was Darnoldish. It was it was bottom three in the NFL with the receiver uh, injuries and the offensive line issues, some of which are him, you know, holding onto the ball. But he made a lot of good throws that didn't matter. That just did, didn't get caught. Or, and he you know, was didn't more, move the, and he was more accurately punished for the bad plays, right? Right. Like last season. There were five games with multiple turnover-worthy plays, and those resulted in four turnovers, which is a way better ratio than before. We just kept talking about, hey, all those games with zero picks, he actually had like four or five turnover-worthy plays. So last year, it's a complete swing in perception. It's gone from being like the numbers are actually massively flattering what happened, right? The, the, yeah. Sometimes you get turnover luck, sometimes you don't. Last, uh, his first year... He got a ton of turnover luck. And last year, he got the reverse. He got the other end of that pendulum. It swung back against him. If it just, if it just levels out, if it's just in the middle this year, his numbers will immediately be better. If you factor in a year three jump, which is what we're talking about, he'll be better still. And if you factor in the Giants giving him better playmakers, even better. Again, the one big concern I have is that that offensive line might be bad enough that none of it matters. I mean, it's your, it's your selection. It's your choice. It's your breakout player. This feels like a bet. Who, which of our breakout players? No, 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 just you? the Daniel Jones thing. I will, I will have confidence in my Daniel Jones pick, set a, set a level for like Daniel Jones PFF grade, and then we should bet on it. All right, what's the level? He had a 78.4 last year. So he went up, overall grade, he went up, what, 13 points? He's got to clear 85. Does that make sense? Oh, I'll take that bet. 85 is pretty high. That's <laughs> really high. Honestly, I, I, I see a scenario where Daniel Jones grades at 75, gets worse, but his 6.6 .6 yards per attempt from each of the last two years goes to like seven and a half. All right, give me... And, he's, and he has 25 touchdowns. Give me a Kirk Cousins range. So Kirk Cousins last year was 83.5 with an 80 pass grade. If Daniel Jones is in Kirk Cousins range, like plus or minus... He's a good runner. So... Like an 82, honestly, I think 82 is probably a fair. So 82 was Stafford last year, dead on, 82. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think Jones gets to Stafford level. Okay, so if we set that benchmark, 82, give me like plus or minus one based off like the fluctuations of the year-to-year -year grading, you know, like last year was high. You know I have my hand in some quarterback grading, right? Like so there's... Yeah, well, I mean, I'll have to check with I'll Bruce. I'll make sure games. that Bruce uh, keeps Oh, no, line. that's a turnover-worthy play. That's all on Jones. So 82 grade, plus or minus one to, like, factor in, yeah. you know, how the, the league fluctuates. And this is, this is what we should do for our Macy's bet. The loser has to, be, has to wear some absurd item of clothing that comes up from the, like, clearance sale from Macy's. Yeah? Sure. Nice. This is our bet. So Daniel Jones, go. 82. Somebody, somebody write that, write that down. That down. <laughs> Where's podcast meme guy? Write that down. Mark I, it as. I need to put uh, it on a calendar official. for like January 2022. Mark it as official. All right, Daniel Jones. I I think he's a 75 quarterback Hater. this year. Hater. With better stats, that O line could still could still really crush him. Hmm.
something happening outside there. All right, what else we got here? Uh, that was the uh, the elite. We both picked an elite player. Okay, which player? Here we go. What do you got? Players most likely to drop from elite status in 2020. You keep going. I'm setting a uh, I'm setting a calendar reminder for Monday, January the 10th, 2022. Well, of course, I was going to say Josh Allen. So you were. I know. I'm just going to let you do that because I don't want any part of uh, Josh Allen hate. I've learned my lesson. Don't I mean, that's want. A, don't want it. You fluctuate back and forth by uh, between uh, you know don't recency bias and trust the data and all that stuff. Wouldn't you be? Would how much would the first two years of uh, Josh Allen's grading actually concern you? Not a ton. Um, I don't think that the first two years of Josh Allen is particularly indicative of. So I don't think that's very indicative. He he took a step forward last year that was transformative that I don't think you see a regression from. Now, at least not a regression from like you don't you don't cross that threshold and then go back. You cross that threshold and you might take a step back, but you're you're back you're bookend. You can't go further. So you Josh Allen might take a step back next year, but he's not gonna go back to being the guy he was before. Oh, I agree with that. I mean look, I mean I Josh Allen has made such good even in 2019 the overall grade wasn't great but a lot of that was turnover worthy play driven we acknowledged we said look up to 20 yards he's been much better the yeah. deep ball was was a train wreck and there and we laid out a path where the deep ball gets better because that tends to be unstable and the other stuff remains stable and boom there you go there's your 90.9 grade last year but remember I, I like to think what we thought about last year at this time last year at this time Lamar Jackson was coming off an MVP season mm -hmm. he had a 90 plus grade and it was like, oh, no, he's there, right? Lamar, he showed his accuracy is improved and the run game component is unstoppable. And, uh, yeah, you know, if you put the ball in his hands and he's got to pass a million times, it's not ideal. But Lamar's arrived, right? He's the guy. Well, he graded at 79 last year. Yeah, but we were even at the time we were saying, hey, the guy had like a touchdown rate of 8%. That's coming down. Like Statistically, yeah. My thought was, okay, he could still be an 80 five plus quarterback but statistically he definitely had to regress yeah, like, he had 37 touchdowns including the playoffs on just 460 attempts Th that rate is absurd my question was like how much how much is how much is lamar jackson driving the freakish unique circumstance that he gets to enjoy within that offense like, yep. how much is it all built off the fact that he's a unique athlete um now I think what we learned last year is that it may all be built off that, but you can undermine it easier than maybe you thought. Like you, you start taking away some offensive linemen, you start building in a little bit of uh, teams figuring out the way the offensive passing game is functioning, and you immediately can take away some of the edge that it brings. So my point with Josh Allen here is if he grades at 80, what so what's his level that you're surprised because you're you're all in on the Josh Allen train. If he regresses this year and he grades under 90, what level drop is surprising to you? Is it 80? Is it 85? Is it 75? Like at what point is it like, man, that's that was unexpected? Uh, I mean, probably 80. Like I'd be if he was 80 overall, I would be surprised that it was that quote unquote bad. I mean, I could, I could see him dropping to 80. So I could see – and that's still – he's still a good quarterback, and that still has high highs. It, it, it's, it's, it's missing a couple more deep balls. It's missing a couple it's, – it's a couple more turnover-worthy plays here and there. So 
I don't know if this is the obvious answer or the obvious. Jo- this isn't Josh Allen hate. Oh, that's what it is. Everyone, it's just yeah. I could see him dropping off because that's that's what guys do. They Definitely. fluctuate a little bit. Definitely, Josh unless Allen they're hate. unless they're locked into that elite level. So uh, Josh Allen regression. Yeah. Let's see if there's any other players. <laughs> is this the year that Tom Brady falls off? Father Time finally catches up to oh, the you old. Should, you should predict that. Kick his ass. You see, yesterday was the seven-year anniversary of me saying he was uh, oh, not, no longer a top-five quarterback. Oh, man, never forget that day. I'm like four or five years away from that being dead on. I'm just, you know, biding my time. The seven-year anniversary. You triggered, like, the best stretch of quarterback play in NFL history. No, yeah. No big deal. I know. Look, Who a lot of people off? get, in other walks of life, people get credit for being ahead of the curve. True. Right? They're just creating a new supersonic jet. And it's the same as Concord, which they built in like the 1960s. They call it disruption. Right? And they're, they're, disruptor. They're, they're now crediting those engineers for being ahead of the curve. I was at least 10 years ahead of the curve for Brady, and nobody's, I'm, I get no credit. None. No respect over there, Sam. Right? That's what I'm saying. How about Xavier and Howard? Xavier and Howard. All right. It's the volatility of the position. It's the fact that he had 10 picks or nine? 10 picks <laughs> and 10 pass breakers. That's absurd. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just historically a simple that's simple analysis he won't pick off 10 passes either because teams are afraid of him or just because you just don't have guys throwing you the ball nearly as much one one that really piss people off yes how long can derrick henry sustain this level Ooh. of like outperforming the blocking in front of him yeah. like what derrick henry has done the last couple of years in terms he leads the nfl in uh yards after contact per carry i think it's like four point something um he's right up there in broken tackles now, okay, he's six foot three and 350 pounds. You kind of expect that. But at some point, that's fairly unsustainable. Like, we're reaching a point now where you would expect some kind of downturn. In, like, in the, like, not many running backs have been able to, to consistently outperform the blocking in front of him the way that Derrick Henry has right now, that Nick Chubb has to a degree, although right now that's the best offensive line in the NFL in terms of run blocking, and Dalvin Cook. Now, Dalvin Cook has at least had the decency to be injured a few times off the back of it. But Derrick Henry keeps on trucking, keeps on racking up four yards of carry after contact, keeps on breaking tackles at a crazy rate. Do we see at some point Derrick Henry start to become human? I could see that. I could see that, yeah. Derrick Henry, really trying to piss people off. Because we're, we're saying <laughs> people are, Josh Allen hater. Yeah, Josh Allen, Xavier Howard, and uh, Derrick Henry. We've never had... Bills, Dolphins, or Titans fans attack us about those players ever. Never. Never, ever happened. So, they're your regression candidates for 2021. So, you're out next week, huh? Yeah. I'm going to have to find replacements. Um, let us know. Who do you want me to <laughs> be on the show with? <laughs> I could grab Mike Renner, maybe, if he's in town. Maybe Austin next week, Dale. the listener of the week could just be the podcast host. Could just be me. You just bring on somebody from the emails. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Meme guy. Meme Let's get podcast guy. meme guy out here. You can be your co-host for the week. Can I get Brunel in studio? You tell me. Can I get Joe Burrow down? I don't know what his uh, schedule Cincinnati? Like. Maybe I'll grab somebody. Joe's busy at OTAs. He doesn't have time for your crap. Oh, so he's in town for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like he's busy. He's Come throwing, in. We'll go to Ruby's. Balls at buckets. We'll go grab a Burrow steak yards. at Ruby's. I might grab a Burrow steak at Ruby's. What's the Burrow steak? I think it's got a little uh, crab meat on top of it. A little something. I thought that Cajun. was already a thing. I don't know. There's, there's already one that has crab meat on it. Maybe the Cajun crab meat. I, that doesn't seem like a great thing to have. Let's see. New dish named, uh, oh, it's Creole. Uh, let's see. 
Creole crawfish sauce. Creole crawfish. That doesn't... Mm, I don't know. According to an official release from Jeff Ruby Culinary Entertainment. J-R-C-E. I'm on the fence about that one. Well, maybe I'll let you know next week if you I do, go. You, we'll order it. See what happens. Get it, get, get it to take out. You get it to... Look, I have it on the desk right here. Oh, you need it while you're doing legit. the pot. It's got a little... Uh, Little crab on there, crayfish, crawfish, crawfish. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's got claws. It's crab. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, figure out some guests next week. Can I get Brunel on the? Can somebody get Brunel on the show here, please? Well, at some point, you're gonna have to contact him if you want him on the show. You can't just like keep calling out during. I can almost certain. No, you just expecting that, it to happen. That's the joke. Um, I could almost certainly get in touch with Mark Brunel. I'll get him on there. Anyway, check out all the other podcasts. I might have Mike Renner or Austin Gale from Two for One Podcast. Ian Hartitz going nuts on his fantasy football podcast getting you ready for the season and then you can get all your 2021 betting content all you need with the pff forecast so thanks to everybody for tuning in i'll be back here on monday talking all things nfl sam enjoy uh another little uh vacation mm. remember shop local yeah shop local definitely mm-hmm. and uh pff underscore sam go uh go donate yes. check out the pin tweet go donate so that i have to dress up like minor league steve with a ridiculous mustache and a curly wig All right, Sam, we're out. Wave. See you guys.